Ready to go? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just doing my warm-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome aboard Beef Station for another week. Join us as we speed through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's get stuck into it. What are we talking about this week, boy? we got a big week. Uh, so for those of you who aren't in film news circles, <laughs> the the Oscars are out. That's right. I'm out, baby. <laughs> no longer recording from prison. <laughs> the Oscars are out. Me and my brother, who is also named Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we call them the Oscars. That's why they call them the Oscars. Um, I'm yeah. still going to lock you back in there after we're done recording this <laughs> episode, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, the Oscar nominations, the nominations are, out. are out. And also this week is going to be our episode all about Yorgos Lanthimos' new film, The Favourite. Mm. For better or for worse, we both watched that film. We were both forced to watch it under duress. We've now come to it. For the record, I watched it voluntarily. Kicking and screaming. And we're going to talk about it this week right after we <laughs> kick off the episode by talking about the Oscar nominations. So a funny now, thing I, that yeah. happened right before we started recording was I received a text from my mother. <laughs> she says... Hi there, hope you're both well. We went to see The Favourite today. Have you seen it? <laughs> then can you explain it to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure what you'll find so, out over the course of the next up, hour and Mom. a half. <laughs> Mama <laughs> is, no, we can't. <laughs> Just going to censor out my last name, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, shit, sorry. <laughs> Mama. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Should I take another hit at that then Or do you think okay, we'll beep it I'll beep it Okay fine <laughs> It is true though We will not be able to explain this film You got any strong feelings about bunnies and death Then boy have I got the film for you no, I do Okay um, I have Because I watch snuff porn of Bugs Bunny movies I have had the misfortune of already seeing these Oscar nominations Because I am the beef station news researcher See I was going to tell you not to look them up then this is a boring conversation. Yeah, Carry no, on. don't. Carry on. Right. Um, what do you want to start <laughs> You're with? You're about to hear about something I didn't do. <laughs> what do you want me to start with first, boy? Start uh, with, you, would you like me to let's work? Let's lead up to best picture. Okay, right. So let's start with some other ones. Uh, so, um, so uh, sorry, the way this is going to work, yep. listeners, and, and feel free to play along. Listeners and Oscar. Um, is that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We have not talked about this. We're going to give you the category, run through the nominees, and then we're each going to make a bet on what we think is going to win. Yeah. Real money. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, Ready? So, blood bet. Um, so we'll, we'll start. I think I'll, we'll skip a we'll skip a couple of bullshit ones. Who gives a best fuck about foreign film? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who gives a fuck about best documentary short subject? Um, right. Uh, best cinematography. Yep. Cold War. The favorite. Never look away. Roma and A Star Is Born. I didn't see A Star Is Born, but I did see The Favorite and Cold War and Roma. Yep. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I think that the um, the the method in which I chose to watch the favorite might not have necessarily <laughs> led itself to the most high definition viewing experience. Um, Why is that? <laughs> oh, you know, just sitting really far back in the in the yeah. in the environment that I watched <laughs> it in. <laughs> yeah. Um, the cinema I was screening it in managed to only have a six hundred megabyte file available at the time. <laughs> um, Point is, they didn't necessarily pretty, get a great cinematic experience from cinema. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Cold War, the fa- out of the ones I've seen there, Cold War, The Favourite, and Roma, I'd probably honestly give it to either Cold War or Roma. My bet's on The Favourite. Oh. So you'd say 
Sorry, so the favourite for I'd this... i say that's my number one contender <laughs> to win. Best original screenplay. Yep. The favourite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. I've seen First Reformed. I've, I haven't seen Green Book yet. You have seen First Reformed? I have not. Oh. Um, there's a lot of these rest I haven't seen, so I don't know how valid this prediction is going to be. I really hope Vice wins. Um, uh, I don't think so. I don't think that the favourite... political. Favourite screenplay, not to spoil my impressions of the movie, was fucking weird, and I don't like the movies this guy does. I think it was great, but I don't <laughs> think it was a contender in this, no. really. So I would give it to either First Reformed or Green Book, and I reckon <laughs> First Reformed. Adapted screenplay is Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. Um, again, out of the ones I've seen, I'd probably pick... Ballad of Buster Scruggs or Black Klansman? What the fuck is Ballad of Buster Scruggs based on? Uh, <laughs> I looked this up. It's bullshit. It's based on short stories written by the Coen brothers. So, like, that's not adapted. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, best, best <laughs> adapted, adapted screenplay. screenplay. I adapted it from my screenplay. Ad- adapted it from my thoughts. Like, f- fuck off. <laughs> um, you'll notice that... Um, <laughs> Do so, they officially publish those? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think so. That's total shit. Yeah. Like, that shouldn't whoa, whoa, whoa. be in this category. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I saw an article um, this week talking about Netflix and how many nominations Netflix has gotten this year's Oscars. It was yeah. like, Netflix uh, really knocks it out of the park with 15 Oscar nominations this year. Um, which is crazy until you realize that it's because... Ballad of Buster Scruggs is nominated um, five times. Yeah, Roma was nominated like ten times. Yeah, Ballad yeah, of yeah. Buster Scruggs was nominated five times and that's it's like, oh, so Netflix released two good things this year. Great. Yeah. Um, I think my pick for adaptive screenplay is probably Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I don't think it'll get that. Um, I reckon it will be either Black Klansman or if Beale Street could talk. I think it'll be Beale Street. We haven't seen Beale Street. I know, but I think it'll win it. <laughs> okay, fine. I um, want Black Klansman to win it. But. Animated feature? Yeah. Uh, you remember we said this year, like, uh, we, no, we, we said the other week, like, oh, well, have any other animated films come out? This is basically a list of the five biggest animated films that came out okay, this year. Okay, right. So, um, Incredibles 2, yep. Isle of Dogs, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and an animated film I have not heard of called Mirai by okay. Mamoru Hosada. So, Japanese, I guess. <laughs> I guess yes um, <laughs> I hope that Isle of Dogs wins I think it's great I hope Enter the Spider-Verse wins and I think that's what's going to get it you reckon? yeah mm, okay. it might be Isle of Dogs if it's not Enter the Spider-Verse I reckon it's Isle of Dogs it'll right. be Wreck-It Ralph <laughs> <laughs> um, oh so, man what if Wreck-It Ralph 2 wins an Oscar <laughs> Jesus uh, supporting actress getting into the getting yep. into the big boys now Amy Adams for Vice big girls <laughs> Marina Detra- uh oh, she was good yeah Marina Datariva for Roma, okay. uh, Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone for The Favourite, and Rachel Weiss for The Favourite. So I assume Emma Stone was... Fucking hell. Is that, how often do you get one movie with, with two, two nominations it happened in last Best Supporting year. Actress? It, 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 I mean, it happened for billboards. Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell were both nominated for ah, Best right. Supporting Actor. And You know you've done a fucking good job with your script when two of your characters get Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. Or actress. Like, yeah. that's crazy. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think the script was... was n- I don't think it'll be... Nothing to write home about. <clears throat> I don't think it'll be Rachel Weisz, because I just don't think she had quite enough of a role to yeah. to take it out. I think it'll either be Emma Stone, or mm. it'll be... Um, Man, it'd be crazy Emma Stone again? one. Amy Adams. Amy Vice. Adams. She's yeah, really good. She was fucking great, Amy but Adam- also I don't think enough. Yeah. I think it'll be Emma Stone. I think she's won for something else. She won for... Uh, Oh, no, La La Land. La La Land won some stuff, didn't it? 
Yeah, La La Land almost won Best Picture. Yeah, that's what it has. <laughs> Some stuff. I know what it didn't win. Emma Stone won an Academy Award for La La Land. She won Best uh, Actress yeah, for that's La what La I Land. Thought. She was nominated Best for Actress too. Yeah, she was nominated for Birdman and right. uh, is now obviously nominated for the favorite. <laughs> being nominated for oh, maybe there were different years, but I was yeah. going to say being nominated for Best Supporting and Best Actress in one Oscar. That'd be would awesome. Be fucking I wonder if that's sweet. ever happened before. That'd be probably. Awesome. Um, uh, the next one I've got here is Best Supporting Actor. Yep. We've got Mahershala Ali for the, for Green Book, Adam yep. Driver for Black Klansman, mm-hmm. Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. I haven't seen half of those. Sam Elliott, interestingly, is the guy <laughs> from The Big Lebowski with the big cowboy hat and the big mustache. I've She's been an actor for like Lebowski. 50 years. And there's a headline on like Reddit's Not The Onion section where it was like when Sam, Sam Elliott, when asked... About his Oscar nomination, his comment was, "It's about fucking time." <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which I admire. Um, I don't really think that any of those nominations really jump out to me. No, Sam Rockwell was uh, unbelievably good as George W. Bush. I think it was, but I, it was. I think he, but I was mostly just impressed at how well he managed to represent that character. I don't necessarily yeah. think that I would remark upon it as like, well, he was a. He was a character throughout the whole movie or anything, you know? I d- yeah, I don't, I, don't think, know. I don't think it was anything special. I think that he wasn't necessarily the main character, and I think that he also didn't... I think I think it was a fine performance that many other people could have pulled off. Like, I don't, I don't think I watched it and was like, wow, is that George Bush in the same way as I watched Christian Bale and thought he was an incredible depiction of Dick Cheney? Right. I'm going to guess Mahershala Ali. Uh, yeah. <laughs> On the episode we did about Vice, I think I called Dick Cheney Al Gore. About seven times. Oh, really? Did <laughs> <laughs> you have to go through and edit it? So it was like... It was sick. Yeah, I, I mean, best Christian Bale's have... performance of... Dick, Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> no, I figured I'd just leave it in. I mean, I say enough stupid shit oh, about no. politics anyway that I oh, thought... that like, would drive me fucking People insane. are going to be tearing their hair out by the time they get to an hour in anyway. Boy. By the seventh time I've explained what bias is, I felt like people hate me enough already without me confusing. Al Gore got stomach pains every time he said it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the lead actress category. Okay. We've got Yelitsa Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife. Olivia Coleman for The Favourite, mm. Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born, and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Um, I haven't seen most of those films. What the fuck is the, the idea with A Star Is Born being nominated for so many awards? Was it that good? Did we miss it? Uh, I felt a bit... I, I, I didn't see it, but <laughs> yeah. it felt pretty Oscar-baity. Yeah. I, I thought... Right, okay. I, I, I didn't. It's, it's working. I haven't heard from many people like, it's incredible, but it's nominated for like six friggin' Oscars or something. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, I think it's popular, but... Yeah. And then... I'm going to guess uh, Olivia Coleman, and I reckon she deserves it. I mean, that's it. the only, that's literally the only one out of this whole thing that's that I've seen. I I've she seen, deserves it. <laughs> I've seen Roma. Um, the performances in Roma were quite good. If we ever end up talking about it, I think the performances were quite good, and I think they certainly deserve an award. And I think it's interesting that there's a... Uh, I, I will remark there is, films a, that are in here. there is a massive bias against and like I try to be aware of this but it's very hard to yeah. counteract against it there is a huge bias against interpreting the performances of people who aren't speaking English it's yeah, much harder to judge whether or not they're actually being an excellent actor than it is if, yeah. if they're speaking your native language because dialogue has so much importance which is why I think they're probably not going to win this year but you know yeah I mean um, yeah we'll see yeah but, we'll, <laughs> we'll find out um, best Lead actor. Yep. We've got Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born, Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate, Rami Malik for. Hell, what was that? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, Rami Malik for Bohemian Rhapsody oh, yeah. and Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. 
Um, Viggo Mortensen's amazing in everything he does, so I assume he's incredible in this as well. Um, yeah, again, I've the, seen, uh, I saw trailers of Green Book, and I didn't know it was Viggo Mortensen until yeah. like the very end. Yeah, again, the only one out of that list that I've seen is Bohemian Rhapsody and Vice. Mm. I think that Rami Malek deserves to win. He's amazing. It could be. Christian Bale could just as easily win. I, I think that it's... Oh, fuck. I reckon Rami Malek will win just because that film's been such like a, a phenomenon this year. Yeah. Like, it's been huge. And I mean, I thought it was good, but so many people were talking about it being like, it's amazing. And I think the fact that it's like so hot in the news now, and I, I reckon it'll win. I reckon That's he'll a win. tough one. Like, he was great. Yeah. But yeah. also, like people get to people get to vote on it, and I feel like people are going to have a bit of an emotional response to seeing Freddie Mercury jumping around on screen that they're not necessarily going to get from Vice. Let's go, let's go, Rami Malek. I think yeah. Christian Bale's performance was incredible. Oh, it's amazing. I'm assuming Viggo Mortensen's performance was incredible. <laughs> um, Half of this is just us us predicting winners of films we haven't seen. If we saw Green Book and Star, Star is Born, Born yeah, we would have seen most of these. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, best pick, best picture, Black Klansman. Oh. Black Panther. Blacks, Klansmen, and Panther. Yeah. <laughs> Already I think it's weird that Black Panther's not winning, but whatever. Yeah. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. See, I don't think that's much of a list. Um, I'm not particularly impressed by that at all. I mean, if you think about how many of your favourite films of the year yeah, shit. are actually in that list, I don't think there are that many. I mean, uh, Black Klansmen's right up there. Sorry to Bother You hasn't been nominated yeah, for anything, as far as snubbed. I can see. Sorry to Bother You is a movie that hates these movies. Yeah. First Man didn't get nominated. No. You'll notice for anything. For anything, exactly. Hereditary, as far as I can see, isn't oh, in wow. this list. I mean, horror movies. Horror movies have to do like astonishing shit to. Oh, hang on. Can we do like? Yeah. Maybe costume and art design as well. Yeah, we can. We'll get that. I'm looking at a few more snubs. Um, right. Mary Queen of Scots seemed like a pretty Oscar movie, and that hasn't showed up at all. It's too late. Yeah, but, you know, they get screeners. A Quiet Place came out this year, and that's not in this list mm. at all for anything, including for screenplay. Yeah, right. Which I think is wild. Um, it's like 10 fucking nominations for Roma, which was fine, but, like, I don't think it deserves... Nah, nah I don't know. I, I, I'm not, not particularly impressed by this list. I've got, I, I, I got to watch Roma. Enough people have told me about it that they loved it. Yeah, but, um, Bad Times of the El Royale doesn't appear in this list at all. Yeah, Mandy doesn't appear anywhere. Mandy should have been in, like, four of these categories at least. Yeah. Nick Cage <laughs> Nick Cage could have been up for best actor. He was he was great. He was genuinely great. Like, for what he for, for the performance he was trying to do, yeah. he was fantastic. I think one of the most wild ideas is the first man's barely in this list at all. Yeah. It's in a lot of minor categories. Like first man is nominated for like sound awards and that kind of thing. Yeah, but it's best not sound editing. <laughs> it's not up for any major shit. I think the cinematography in the first man was spectacular. Yeah. I think the directing was really good. Um and I just don't think that this list really represents that at all. Mm. I um, mean, the Oscars is always a bit of a shit, right? But yeah, the dude who played um, the main guy in Black Klansman hasn't been nominated. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought he was really good. Yeah, and part of the reason why Tony that... Collette in Hereditary, she was great. Actually, she was she amazing have been up for lead actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are talking about the fact that "Won't You Be My Neighbor," the Mister Rogers uh, film. I was beloved this year and isn't in the list of mm. documentaries, which is a shame. Eighth grade yeah, missed I mean, out for screenplay. When you're looking at Best Picture, Black Panther should not be here. That yeah, was no. a great movie that did a lot of good work, but it in just there's a couple articles by people saying they're happy. It's a it's a it's a film with a lot of people of color that's getting a lot of presence in the awards, and right? Stuff, which is and great. maybe people but like, really loved it. I I really loved it, but yeah, I just don't think it's really Oscar material. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, but I guess why are two white dudes saying that? Yeah, 
Like maybe yeah, it I is. Know. Yeah. You know, so I, I brushed past uh, eighth grade, missed out on a screenplay nomination. Eighth grade was one of the best screenplays this really, year. Really and I think good. it's crazy that that didn't get nominated. I think so if I were a middle-aged white man, I might not have liked that movie. It just seems like the same... Oh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like the same six films have been nominated for every fucking yeah, they category. Have, yeah. Maybe it's also, like this every year. Roma has been nominated for Best Picture and Best Foreign Film. What if it actually happens? Wouldn't that be crazy? Well, that would be stupid. I don't think that's fun. I don't think it's fun when one award... I think it'd be wild. I've watched it... Like, it's nominated for like 10 Oscars. Whenever I've watched like <laughs> competitive video game stuff, and there's, yeah. I remember like I watched competitive Counter-Strike right, for years. You're right, this is the same as that. Keep going. I watched competitive Counter-Strike for years, and then this one team ended up being the best team in the world. And they were the best team in the world for like three years. And they were th- but I, like untouchable. No one could fucking yeah. come close. And it was so boring to watch. It's like when Australia was the best at cricket for like 10 years. Yeah. Australia would it's just like, always win every cricket game. But like, like I good, only, my I entire w- childhood memory. Like this team, Fnatic, I would only watch games where I learned that Fnatic had lost. Because <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, who did that? That 20-year-old Greek kid just beat Federer the other day. Yeah, right. And that's that's exciting. Other sports. Real, yeah. Real sports. I'm only into <laughs> esports. Yeah, exactly. about that real life uh, What did you want to see? You wanted to see costumes. Yeah, so I'm, um, I'll, I'll come back to my best picture pick because yep. I'm not sure. But yeah, let's, yeah, just let's do, it let's do costuming and, and like a set design or art design or whatever the fuck. I mean, here's the thing. We could just pause and then think about it. We don't have to put the listeners through fucking Oh, I've been taking extended design. pauses that I think I will be... I think <laughs> um, I will be... Editing out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You'll be editing out. Maybe it is me. I'm going to have to work out how to beep your last name. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Um, costume design then. Uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay. Black Panther. The Favourite. Mary Poppins Returns. And Mary Queen of Scots. Right. Okay. So there's Mary Queen of Scots in the fucking costume So design. I think like... I think costumes in The Favourite were really cool. Yeah. They were great. Oh, great. Um, oh, I've got some interesting stuff to say about that later. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Um, I don't know. They look like cowboys. I yeah. Wasn't yeah. Impressed by it. <laughs> Whatever. There's only three uh, nominations for makeup and hair. That's Border, which I haven't seen. Mary Queen of Scots and Vice. <laughs> Does it count as makeup or hair if Christian Bale just gained thirty fucking kilos? Yeah, they're gonna get they're gonna get disqualified when they run. Like, like that's a Christian not Bale a fat suit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wonder how fat he's gonna be when he rocks up to the Oscars. Do you reckon he'll be skinny again? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, are we going to get back to our best picture pick? Have you had nah, enough time? Let's, let's leave it right till the end. <laughs> no, um, okay. I uh, think that I'm, I'm not going to pick films I haven't seen. So, I mean, Green Book might win, but I haven't seen it. Whatever. I could see Bohemian Rhapsody taking this out. Oh, I hope not. I don't think it's quite deserving. Well, we've seen Golden, but... Golden Globes in best pictures. It doesn't have a good chance of winning. Mm, mm, that's mm. right. Okay, I think Green Book has a chance. Um, Roma has a chance. Uh, I would desperately love for Roma to win Best Foreign Film and Best Picture. That'd be wild. <laughs> you found that film absolutely middling, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I just love the anarchy. I love the anarchy <laughs> right. and chaos involved. The anger in like, that it would be caused. Yeah, it would be both things. I want Black Klansman to win in some ways because I think that the uh, message that it's spreading and the impact that it's giving to the Charlottesville rallies was pretty, yeah. pretty important. Um, I've written down one. Oh, the favorite is in there. I could also see that winning. I mean, like maybe I wouldn't put it there. I don't think I'd put it above best. Uh, I don't think I put it above Black Klansman. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Mm, tough pick. You're yeah. right, though. This probably wouldn't have been my like. There, are, this this wouldn't have been my top seven. There might have been one or two in there. I think that none of my top ten films of the year are in this list for best picture. I mean, 
Nope. My top 10, I had like Mandy, You Were Never Really Here, Isle See, of Dogs, Sorry to Bother You, Hereditary, First Man, Quiet Place, all of which are great films that aren't really anywhere in these major awards. Yeah, You Were Never Really Here could have been cinematography or editing. That was a great one. Why yeah. the fuck is... Oh, yeah. Why isn't that anywhere? Johnny Greenwood didn't editing? get a nomination? No, it's not. Yeah. Totally overlooked. And Walking Phoenix would have been amazing. He was amazing in yeah, that. Yeah, he was great. What he about was in, is, is Walking Phoenix was in two films this year. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think Vice will win for editing. Mm. Now, see, yeah, that I could get behind. It's uh, the most uh, in-your-face you editing. You missed it. In a way that... Um, in, in a way that, like, maybe people are like, no, good editing. You're like, you don't notice it. Like, uh, there's a lot of these films that are nominated for editing, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, what, make, what makes that good editing? I don't know. But, like... Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that... I don't really give a fuck about Best Picture this year. These are the nominees. I think that... I hope Vice wins. If any of these win, I hope Vice wins. That'd be great. I, I think... It'll be either Green Book or Roma. I'm gonna guess. Oh man! So you know, you know, you're not deciding on who wins best. Picture. No, I know, but I'm having. I'm uh, every time I pick something that I think will be. I, I like this is a pretty boring. I look list at something me. else, and I'm like, oh nah, that that'll definitely win over it. But I've done that for like all seven options. I'm picking what I want to win, not what I think will win. I think it's. I think it's impossible. No, like, I'm taking bets. Triple backflip, reverse psychology to try and work out what actually. That's will why win. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> right. Well, considering that this is for their entertainment, not for ours, fucking pick. If I had to pick for this list, I would pick Black Klansman. But I think that Green Book will win. We haven't seen. Gre- How are you giving Green Book so because many I'm Oscars when we haven't to the seen it? That it's got. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. That's it. I'm basing it off the praise. Right. Okay. So. Right. Well, there you go. There's our Oscar. A little Oscar roundup. Mm. Um, should we kick it into talking about the favorite? Yeah, we should. Great. Favorite new film by Yorgos Lanthimos. He is a Greek What's director. What's your favorite new film by Yorgos Lanthimos? Uh, none of them. I'd rather dry heave <laughs> into a bucket for two hours. Uh, uh, other films he's done recently are The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yep. I think that if I had to pick my favorite of those two, I think Killing of a Sacred Deer was definitely good at what it did, but Jesus, it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. The Lobster, I think, was also supposed to be a comedy, but it was this weird, uncomfortable tone that he does. It's kind of his signature style at this point, where the whole film just makes you really uncomfortable and people don't interrupt each other. And, like, the lines are really stilted and dry, and it didn't make me laugh, and it made me uncomfortable, so it achieved nothing of what it set out to do. And I think it sets out to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, like, think it, I, I think it lobster- achieved that so much that it eclipsed what it was elsewise trying to achieve. I think I enjoyed it at the time. I don't know. I just I don't I, I sort of dis- detest the idea of his films. I think right. if I had to at gunpoint pick one that I had to go on the record as saying I like, then <laughs> I, I suppose Killing of a Sacred Deer was alright. It was a good movie. But the favourite was perhaps the most acceptable of the films I've seen. Yeah, him and do. that's that's the thing that I've also heard yeah. is that he's garnering a lot of praise from sort of yeah. toning it down a little. But here's the problem. He's toning it down a bit to the point where, like, you get films, and um, for the listeners at home, I'm doing a little graph with my oh, hands here. Way down at the bottom, you have these films that are making you fucking uncomfortable, and they're so down there that they're interesting, like A Killing of a Sacred Deer and Lobster, right? right? And as you start to tone down his stylistic choice to make you uncomfortable and sort of do all this weird shit he does, you lose a lot of the flair that actually makes his films interesting. Right. And I think the favorite sort of sits in that kind of dead neutral band where, like, for the first hour of the film... It's kind of slow and boring. Mm. And like it's not interesting. And at least like the lobster and killing of a sacred deer are kind of quite slow, but they have this weird quirk to them that means that they're slow in a really fascinating way where the whole time you're engaged. Whereas I thought he kind of in 
a deliberate or not attempt to lose a bit of that weird, quirky edge he has. Like, I've heard that he didn't write this film with the dude he wrote the other two with. Mm. Um, it just kind of means that though his weird, slow build is just weird and slow, and you don't really get anything that makes it interesting. Right. What do you think? Um, well, I'm going to do what you always do, where I try to get stuck into it, and you very wisely say, let's take a step back and talk about <laughs> what this film actually is. Yeah. So, <laughs> The Favourite is a... Oh, yeah. So it's a period piece set in the early 18th century based on the reign of Queen Anne, who was actually a ruling monarch in that era. Um, There are sort of three female protagonists, I guess, although I guess Queen Anne is the protagonist in a way. Um, So Queen Anne's played by Olivia Coleman, who you might know from Broadchurch. She's a peep show for years. Half of the British television shows that have ever been made. Yeah. Um, she's fantastic. Then there's also uh, Rachel Weiss and uh, Emma, Emma Stone. Stone. And Rachel Weiss kind of plays her uh, Queen Anne's uh, very close friend slash advisor, who yeah. I guess is also um, politically motivated. Yeah. And um, Emma Stone plays the cousin of Rachel Weiss's character, who comes to the castle at the start of the film seeking employment after she's fallen on hard times. Yeah, so... And it's established reasonably early on that Anne is um, not healthy and also kind of weird in a way that is much more than normal. So she's got a lot of, like, instability in a bunch of different ways. She's, like, yeah, like, emotionally and physically quite frail. Manic, very dependent upon Rachel Weisz's character. And so Rachel Weisz plays her, like, best friend duchess Mm. figure who is, like, basically making the queen's choices for her. Right. And like in all these meetings, she's like whispering in her ear and like establishing all these like crazy conspiracies and shit. Yeah. And, like, and she tells her what to do basically. Yeah. So the queen maintains appearances when she's in the courtroom and then they'll go out of the bedroom and she'll be like, I don't know what to do. And Rachel yeah. Weiss will be like, here's what we're doing. And then the power s- slowly shifts over the course of the movie so that Rachel Weiss is basically getting a little too big for her boots. Um, yeah. And recognizes it. Uh, Emma Stone's character becomes a threat to... Rachel Weiss and and, and well, so Rachel, on and so, so, so Emma Stone plays this person who was once part of some wealthy aristocracy and has now had this fall from grace, and she basically comes to the palace to work as a servant. Yeah, and so she is trying to work her way up in like the court politics to garner favor with the queen and no longer have to be a fucking servant. So she right. like quite quickly tries to sort of like find a dude who's going to marry her and like so she can become a lady again. And, and she makes very carefully thought out decisions like. Yeah. Um, she ends up sneaking into the... So she knows that the, the queen is suffering from gout. And so she ends up like stealing a horse and going out into the forest and picking this herb that she knows helps with that and then sneaking back into the queen's room and treating the queen with this salve that no yeah. one knows about. And then people come in there and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't be And the queen's the queen. like, no, stay. She's doing good with my leg. Yeah, well, yeah. she's initially like whipped and then the queen's yeah. like, actually that helped. And, and so she's basically currying favor with... The Queen, particularly, but also important people in yeah. the court. And the, w- and the way they contrast these two characters, Emma Stone's character and Rachel Weiss's character, is kind of interesting. In the way that, like, everything that Emma Stone does that's kind of manipulative is done under this guise of, like, kindness. Like, mm. she's just trying to help the Queen with her leg, but also she's doing this. Or, like, she's just trying to. Um, God, I can't think of another single example, but like every single thing she, thing she does is like weird and manipulative. She's trying to. It's like being nice, but like behind everyone's back, it actually is for this weird manipulative reason. Yeah. And we'll get a little more into how that. Yeah. The like, dynamics change yeah. quite a bit over the course of the film. We'll get a little more into that when we get into yeah. a spoilery section. Like the way in which she deliberately flirts with the guy in order to 
um, get favor with him, or the way right. in which she, um, yeah, all, so, all sorts of the nice things. Whereas, like, Rachel Weiss's character is, like, overtly cruel. And the initial premise is that, so Anne was obviously born into reigning the monarchy. Rachel Weiss's character has obviously used their friendship to try and become as powerful as possible. Yeah. Emma Stone needs help, and she is using her social climbing skills to try and, uh, like, as she would put it, survive basically, and become established and safe. And so the way in which she does that is, is extremely manipulative, but yeah. it's a less kind of condemnable end goal than yeah. uh, Rachel Weiss's character. So, yeah, that's basically the setup dynamic. There are a few other uh, really excellent performances in this film, but I just wanted to touch quickly on Nicholas Holt's character, who yeah. plays the leader of the opposition <laughs> in this film, and he is... Fucking great. I love Nicholas Holt in every yeah, single thing I've ever seen him in. Starting from yeah, Skins I, when I was like 16. I thought he was alright, but as he soon as I recognized who he was, I thought, oh, funny. I'm going to have to hear about this dude for 15 minutes. Yeah, I'll spare you, but so funny. I just think he's such a, such a fucking good actor. <laughs> um, every time he was on screen, just something about him cracked me up. It was oh, so funny. I didn't find this film as funny as you did. I, I was sort of... The whole cinema was laughing, man. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a funny movie. Oh, maybe I maybe I made a bad maybe decision by watching this film in the weird small bedroom-sized cinema that I watched <laughs> on, it in. On like four hours of sleep. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> while browsing Reddit. Yeah. I'd say it wasn't the best viewing experience. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Point is, when I... Rewatched the but second no, no, half of the film that I'd fallen. It's Lanthimos' fault. <laughs> when I rewatched the second half of the film because I'd fallen asleep during it the first time I tried to watch it, enjoyed the second half a lot more. So, <laughs> and imagine <laughs> my surprise when I learned that. How's the story to tell you all now? I don't know if I've told you this story before. Um, back when we used to work at that cinema, mm. we'd get free tickets for shit, and so you could just like waltz in and get a ticket for whatever film was and just go in and see it. So I'll go see that new Woody Allen film and it was uh, Blue Jasmine, the one with Kate Blanchett. Um, and it's kind of told in this weird, like, uh, flashbacky kind of yeah. kind of way. And so I didn't know very much about it and I got the buddy, my buddy behind the till to give me a ticket and he was just sort of talking to me and making small chat and he didn't realize that he'd accidentally given me a ticket to the session that had started like an hour ago <laughs> instead of the session that was about to start. And I sort of walked in and was like, oh, I guess... I guess I missed the start of the movie because the lights are already down and the movie's going and I sat down and after watching uh, the Woody Allen movie for about 45 minutes, it finished. Excellent. Uh, uh, what? Has the... What? Oh, Dale! Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> named. So then, then, yeah, named and shamed. And so then the next day, I went back and watched the first half of Blue <laughs> Jasmine. <laughs> and I think works a lot better. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, because when I watched the last forty-five minutes first, I was like, "Oh, they're not explaining these characters at all. They're not right, explaining any really of these artistic. motivations. Am I supposed to like just assume they're married?" Right? And like, oh, she's she's crazy, and she just launches into this crazy fucking character without explaining it. And then like, I watched the first time, I'm like, "Oh, uh, no, this is a little, <laughs> this is very clear." But I almost sort of mementoed myself by giving me this weird yeah. jumbled up version of the movie. I think. Everyone should watch Blue Jasmine that way. I think everyone should watch every movie they make, like starting at the <laughs> midpoint of the film and being like, is this good in its own right? You could probably, the more like, I don't know, yeah, watch 10 minutes of your movie every day for a year or something like that when you're editing it. <laughs> I mean, Just really I mean, fuck I mean, yourself I mean, up with it. Don't do that. No, do it. But I think, I don't know. It's I think it's it's really interesting and probably no one watched that movie starting from where you did, but maybe they could have made a no. better movie if they did. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Probably would have also been a better movie if uh, Woody Allen wasn't a... Big old creep. <laughs> Big old just sex a, pest. Just, 
Any hole's pretty <laughs> funny, though, so, you know, that's good. Okay, so what, one of the other really notable things about The Favourite, um, other yeah. than its narrative, is the way that it's built and shot. Um, in particular, that Lanthimos and his director of photography have chosen to use really wide-angle lenses. Yeah, there's a lot of that. kind of giving a bit of a fisheye effect. Some, um, sometimes, like, I found the lens distortion in the film wasn't noticeable enough that you saw the weird fisheye look. No. But you definitely, like, when the camera would, like, the camera would be sort of mounted on a tripod and panning. Yeah. Um, and you'd get this weird kind of swimming kind of effect. And yeah. it sort of took me a second to be like, oh, right, it's because it's... Some so most people, lens. most people know what a fisheye is, but like yeah. if you haven't seen it, then it's like what a GoPro footage looks like. It's how yeah. it's all blown up in the center, and then the edge looks really kind of swirly, and everything moves faster. Yeah. So what they've done is they're using there's a, uh, some some new developments in like lens. <laughs> there's some new developments in lens technology now that you don't want to hear about, but <laughs> they're being able to make they're, they're making super wide angle lenses now that don't have the fisheye, which is really weird because right. it makes your perception of what the room is like look totally different to how things actually move about in the room. Right. right? Okay. It'll so kind of like making, flatten it almost and give you this yeah, weird perspective. Yeah. And so like yeah. someone moving at the en- edge of the lens is going to move like really slowly. And then someone moving in the middle of the lens moves really fast all of a sudden, and then someone moving or, at the edge And that's why slowly. the pans look really weird, just because yeah, of the way it yeah, totally. tracks across the... Yeah, right. And so I think like the way that he uses... So one thing that I found immediately intriguing about this was that I've never seen a period piece use anything but a flat lens before. I've never seen it use a wide-angle lens. And yeah. a wide-angle lens is something that we think about a lot in sort of sports photography, <laughs> action movies, very yeah. like... Um, you know, I don't think you see wide-angle lenses very much in films. No, you don't, because they kind of look shit, yeah. right? And one of the things that's enabling it is that they've managed to fix this look by making a wide-angle lens not have that strong fisheye, right? But I think it, it pairs quite nicely with Yorgos Lanthimos's style, because it does. he's deliberately trying to make films that are fucking disorienting. Yeah, so like... And so he's got this lens that's like the Lanthimos lens, where he like, strap this baby on a camera and film anything you want, it'll confuse the yeah, fuck out of it'll him. it'll make everyone feel very <laughs> uncomfortable. So I think, like, the thing that got me about this wide-angle lens in this particular yeah. era is that I became pretty, and this is like, let me get on my film studies bullshit. Hell yeah. Um, this is a technology that's like impossible to have existed in the time that you're viewing, right? Yeah. So um, it's like, it's observing this this time that it couldn't have existed within. And I think that kind of makes you a little unconsciously aware that it's inherently impossible right yeah so what i think that does is it 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 really kind of like displaces the movie that we're watching so it's not trying to trick you into thinking that um it's it's actually taking place in this period and i was listening to an interview with lanthimos today where he talks about how they didn't like we don't really know how people back then actually spoke well it's interesting they use modern modern language yeah they do so that throughout this whole film it's all like modern english the way you're it's contemporary right it's it's kind of in a style and it's got a feeling to it but it's mostly purely contemporary language and i feel like what this camera use is doing this particular lens is it's actually kind of inverting what you normally expect from a period piece where yeah. like rather than like we have wide angle lenses but usually we're looking at the modern world through them and so what i think it does it kind of it's kind of inverting the the barrier between us and the and the the movie that we're watching right from us seeing the era be recreated to kind of like it being an impossible presence but it's observing an era that feels quite real so it's I, I I don't know it 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 felt a little I don't know if that made sense or not but yeah no I sort of know um, what you mean it's like normally the audience is looking at a time that we know can't exist because it doesn't exist whereas in this particular case the audience 
is the thing that feels like it can't be real because the camera lens is the thing that feels yeah. like it's not well, real. But it, the subject that we're observing actually still feels completely believable. So it's really interesting that it kind of made that suspension of disbelief different because you didn't have to... Or like, it was almost making... It was distracting from your suspension yeah. well, of disbelief. Going along the same lines as it being a bit of a distraction, I think you could almost say it's almost grounding the film in some kind of modern reality. Right. In that like they're using modern language and modern cinematic techniques. So it could not possibly be... Yeah, but it, it like it makes the film feel almost a bit more familiar in in yeah. the opposite of like when you often might watch a period piece and it almost kind of feels a bit stuffy. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean. Like it's yep. almost like oh, they're stuck using all this old language and all the costumes and everything look old and dark. Yeah, and then like the lenses you say are often quite flat and quite sort of uninteresting. Yeah, and so felt- the film kind of feels old fashioned itself. Whereas with this, it brings this modern filmmaking kind of style to an old period piece, and it almost makes it more engaging and more immersive to watch. I think even it made it less feel realistic. more like I was watching something out of that period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because so- it's more relatable. Even if it's less right. realistic, it's more relatable, and then inherently, and I never, <laughs> I never thought I'd say this about a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Like inherently, like a more more engaging, more comfortable yeah. film to be watching. Yeah, more comfortable, right? It's very <laughs> strange. So I, I I think that that is an incredibly interesting and smart choice for him to have made. Yeah. And during this interview, he said, you know, I've never done a period piece before. It's never really interested me. And so when I was playing around with this idea, and when I was working with the scriptwriter whose name I've forgotten, but fucking scriptwriters never get credited. Yeah. Um, he said, "I'm going to like obviously do a fair bit of background research um, for inspiration, but yeah. I'm not going to try and stick to everything being from this era. I'm not going to try and do a reproduction of the era. I will do what feels right, yeah, for that particular era. And so, like, a, a really interesting example of that is the costuming, right? So the costuming is it's in it's was it nominated for best costuming? I'm pretty sure it, oh, was, it was, right? Yeah." All of the materials and fabrics used to make that were modern materials and fabrics. That's cool. All of them, right? So there's mixes of plastics, leathers. Oh, right. That's what you mean. <laughs> the chokers in the film that they wear sometimes were 3D printed. Right. Right. And so he's using these materials. Again, bringing, bringing, modern, tech, bringing modern technology and modern techniques right. to sort of breathe a fresh air into like a period. Yeah, piece. and he said yeah. what we stuck with in the costumes was the shape. We kept the shape the same, but we used modern materials, right? And I think it it it's really effective in the aesthetic yeah. that it creates. Well, there was a lot of really interesting costumes that kind of popped and you really yeah. notice them in the way that you often don't in a period piece because it's just the same shit that you've right, seen in films for the last 300 probably years. Probably from the same fucking warehouse yeah. that, that has all of these era costumes. Yeah. yeah well, I, I think, think it becomes great. easy to ignore in the same way as we've said with all these other sort of cinematic techniques and things. It becomes easy to ignore certain attributes of the same kind of period piece that we've seen over and over and over again. Yeah if you just make it as faithful and as accurate as possible because it's no longer interesting. Yeah. Uh, A couple more things that I found really interesting. So this has a lot of like really strong Rembrandt lighting, which I learned what the actual definition of was recently. There's like sharp contrasts. Yeah, but in a film, what that often translates to is that the camera is filming. So I've talked to before about a three-point lighting setup where you've got the... Um, I guess the only ones that really matter are the key light and uh, uh, fill light, right? So the key light is on one side of the subject and the fill light is usually on the other side. What do you, what's a key light and a fill light? Slow down so a key light is the main light that's being used. It's lighting light, up the subject? Yeah, and a fill light fills in the shadows that the right. key light creates. Okay. So, in so the fill light's lighting. often like maybe the ambient light in the background yeah. kind of, and then the key light's what's lighting up Emma Stone, for example. Right. right. And so in the case of Rembrandt lighting, the reason why it's so dark and dramatic is because they're lighting 
the subject on the say the left side of their face, yeah. but they're filming the right side of their face. Right. So you actually get most of the light of the subject on the other side to the camera. What, coming from behind them? Not behind, but on the opposite side of their face. So if you imagine like, oh, this sucks. It's counterintuitive to what you'd normally think. And yeah, so, so you're like different. sort of yeah. lighting their left cheek, but filming their right cheek. The point is that you're, you're filming the shadow part of their face rather yeah. than the main light part of their face, which would give you a spotlit theatrical or documentative kind of vibe. Yeah, okay. Right? I sort of see what you mean. Yeah. If you Google Rembrandt lighting, you'll be able to envisage what I'm talking about a lot more. Yeah. But the way that this film uses Rembrandt lighting was really fantastic to the point where like, there were, there were just these gorgeous shots. Um, Lanthimos films on actual film. Yeah. Um, he says he always has. He says he's done a couple of movies that... Uh, he filmed in digital, but that it sucked. He said <laughs> the, the Coen Brothers, their first film, they filmed digitally was the Battle of Buster Scruggs. Oh right, and I saw in some interview where they were saying it was an interesting, it was an interesting opportunity for them to experiment with the medium. Like, what do you mean, experiment with the medium of digital cinematography? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of shit that you can do, and I feel like when you're operating at that level of yeah. making it, there must be heaps of implications to that. that doesn't seem said, very experimental. Sorry, like, no, no, no. Maybe you're right. But yeah. Lanthimos said like one thing that it, it is you're constantly acutely aware of the fact that a resource is running through the camera, yeah. and that you're using that resource. Right with digital, it kind of feels unlimited. Like you can do as many takes as you fucking want. Yeah. But if you run out of film, you're fucked. <laughs> and so, like, he said, even sometimes when it's really quiet on set and you're shooting a scene, you can... Uh, the actors can hear the film running through the camera all the time. So, like, yeah. I think that's really interesting that, like, it. he said that sometimes it affects the way that people act when they can actually hear this constant noise acutely reminding them of the fact they're acting. That there's, like, a time pressure. Yeah, it sort of yeah. puts a... Or, or even just an atmosphere pressure... You know, yeah. of like you're you're doing this thing right now. You're in a performance. There's people and a camera. Like the camera is watching you. It's going, going. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. Another thing that um, I'm just going to keep saying another thing because I had lots yeah, of good. In- things that I found interesting about this movie. Um, Who are you, the hoodoo gurus? That's the outro music. <laughs> um, the way that he moves the camera around is often quite jerky or sudden, and it will. Uh, the effect that it had on me was that I was passively aware that I was watching a scene and then the camera would like move very quickly and whip around and it's not like blurred but it would just very quickly pivot yeah. as if, he, if someone was turning their head and yeah. I'd be like oh yeah there's like this is observational like there's a camera and you're kind of swiveling to look at another subject because the lens would distort as well yeah. so yeah I thought that was just the movement of the camera as well gave it a real like um, he threw this round, this word around a lot during the interview. This he wanted this really strong sense of physicality, where the camera was there, it was partaking in what was going on, it was observing. These right, and so that's moments. why there's a very specific scene where it's like full fisheye and it pans around like that for yeah. a bit. And so there's a lot of things where you've, it's very obvious that the camera is fucking with the shot somehow. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. it's it's a very strongly intended statement in yeah. the film's art style. There's and I think in yep. terms of one more thing about the fisheye and more film studies shit <laughs> is that I I felt like um so part of the interesting and this is what he said really interested him about the film was the idea of these women who have these incredibly small intimate moments that end up having vast consequences upon many, many, many people, right? So, for instance, um, the way that Rachel Weisz's character influences the Queen is often romantic and often through, like, small displays of either um, platonic or sexual romance, right? And she's actually doing political work through those tiny little um, 
gestures because she's gaining favor over a power figure yeah. and then is therefore more able to exert her own choices in the sphere of politics. And there's so some these tiny little decision that sort of has this huge overreaching impact. Yeah, her currency, her her currency of power is tiny little sexual yeah. or romantic gestures. I mean, it's, and that it's, has it's, like huge sweeping implications. And I think when you're looking at a fisheye lens, right, the thing in the middle of a fisheye is blown up, so you're looking at it in hyper focus. And when you combine that with a wide-angle lens, you have a huge field of view, but everything in the periphery is crushed down into this tiny little perimeter. Okay. Right. Yeah. So depending on where you're looking, you'll see large movements or, or you'll see small movements blown up into kind of hyper detail and they still affect what's going on on the outside of the <laughs> yeah. screen. I mean, it, but everything it, is kind of really crushed in. If so you want I to use like specific camera shots as a metaphor for the whole film together, I'm sure I think that so. works I, quite he well. Chose things like that. Yeah. So I think that what he's choosing to give you, like what he's giving the, a lot of screen real estate are the small things. Yeah. But the fact that he's he's uh, looking at these the holes of this castle through such a strongly warped lens makes every character feel very, very important and have a lot of uh, presence in the space of the castle, which I think is strongly metaphorical for the space of the kingdom. Yeah, or sure. in this case, the, the area the monarchy rules over. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think that's the last of the films that is shit. No, I think it was really interesting. So. Um and I, I definitely got a lot out of the film in that sense. I think that, yeah, like I said before, it was the most palatable of the Yorgos Lanthimos films mm. that I've seen. I think he's sharpening his tools. Yeah, but I, I think it does mean that, I don't know, it's it's less. It's definitely got a little less of the sort of Yorgos Lanthimos character that you get from the first two films. Right. Um, so I think that if fans of those first two films, there might not even be his first two, fans of The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer that liked it because it was fucking crazy might not necessarily like this for the same reason. Yeah. But I think it was definitely a good film. I don't, I don't think I was in a weird mood when I watched it, so I didn't, I didn't really laugh as much as I as I hoped I would. Have you seen Barry Lyndon? No, I haven't. No. Okay, so that is a. I, think I was in your geography with Barry Lyndon. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, that is a Stanley Kubrick film. I think it's one of his first, okay. um, and it is set in like a similar era. Right. Um, and apparently, I haven't seen it, but apparently Kubrick uses a lot of. Um, kind of fucked lenses and does a lot of similarly strange camera work. And so apparently... In a similar kind of way. Before, so before this interview, um, they screened Barry Lyndon, then there was right. the interview, and then they screened um, The Favourite. <laughs> just, so, just, just to <laughs> quietly call Yorgos Lanthimos as a fucking hack. Well, no, that was the thing. He said, actually, they were... Like, everyone on set had seen Barry Lyndon, but everyone kind of had to agree, like, can we not use that film as any kind of... Like, let's not watch it again. You yeah. know, we all know what happened in it. We all know what it was like. <laughs> like but, like, right, let's avoid it. Screen Barry Lyndon is fine. <laughs> Apparently, someone was like, "So you've chosen Barry Lyndon as a pair." He's like, "I didn't choose it." <laughs> and the guy was like, "Uh, uh. <laughs> if I could choose, if I could have chosen, he if you threw would have him not under the it. bus so hard." He was like, "I didn't choose it." And then he was like, <laughs> "You've okayed this film, Barry Lyndon," and the was just kind of like. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he fucking ripped off the whole fucking movie. No, he didn't. It was very different, but apparently, like, it had um, it had a very. They were both pursuing a tone, right? Okay, you fine. know, yeah, um, sure. One more interesting thing, um, in a bit of a like meta filmmaking way. Apparently, sure. they only rehearsed for three weeks, which he said was really nice. That shocks me for two reasons. One, 
I've been involved in a bunch of like theatrical productions, right. and they have only that they, they have. <laughs> I've never rehearsed for less than like four months. Yeah, well, they <laughs> they, um, they, they were for, amateur stuff. Yeah, they rehearsed for three weeks for this film, but every scene had. 20 takes. <laughs> well, no, that was the thing. He said they didn't want to over-rehearse because he said if you over-rehearse, it gives it a very artificial and constructed feeling. Whereas yeah. you want to be, you want to have the script, you want everyone to know the script, but you want to have a lot of space sure. for people to try well, shit, feeling like they can f- fuck it up and well, it will work out or whatever. So that, that reminds me of something I forgot to finish saying about eighth grade a couple of weeks ago. Right. When we were talking about how Bo Burnham, when he was dealing with all these like actors who were actually kids in the eighth grade, um, he gave them. I, I didn't finish saying this. He gave Elsie Fisher, who played the young girl in the film, the script for her and her dad to go over, like literally once, and then he took it away and only gave her scenes from the and film. He smacked her about the head with it. And said, <laughs> Forget what you just read. <laughs> yeah, and he would only give her the scenes that she was going to do day of, and be like, "Here, read this for fifteen minutes," because yeah. he didn't want the actress to be like obsessing over every single scene for months and months and months on end. And so there is definitely an argument to having a bit of freshness to it. And so a lot of that eighth grade film as well was really fresh. And the scenes the actors were reading, they might've only got a brief chance to go over it and remember, remember the lines that morning because he wanted their sort of fresh take on all the scenes. Right. And there's a lot of scenes in that film where like the kids to, for him to play off and get a lot of that sort of childish awkwardness you get, the, the child actors will be meeting for the first time during the scene in which their characters meet for the so first like time. So, like, for those of you who've seen it, the food court scene, yeah. apparently that was the first time the four of them had properly hung out at all. Yeah. You know? um, and so, what you were saying about the favourite obviously reminds me of that a bit. And so, I yeah. definitely... It seems strange, but I've heard about that technique twice now recently. Right. And if you'd asked me, I would have said, like, oh, fucking... They would have been rehearsing for months. Yeah. And maybe there are some movies where they have to do that. But I think it's very much more a case of... The actors know the script, ask backwards. Yeah, I mean, if they're professional actors, they would have had time to like remember everything anyway. Yeah. So, like, so I guess like you know, you know the script going in, and then those three weeks are just like, all right, what's kind of gonna feel right yeah. at the time? And then they sort of go, okay, I think we've got that. Let's stop. We're not shooting, so let's just go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing. Apparently, Lanthimos prefers natural and practical lighting. So he I was going to say, I noticed a shitload of natural light in this film. Yeah, Loads and lots of times. So, like, they will be filming outside in the dark, and so you just wouldn't be able to see shit. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you've got candles. Yeah. That's your natural light. So, like, he said he prefers a very clean crew where it's just him, actors, camera, and sound, and that's it. Yeah. And so, like, he doesn't want to fuck around with, like, 200 kilos worth of lighting equipment that you then have to, like, move to every single room every time. He said he likes yeah. being able to shoot one scene, kind of get it, shoot another scene, kind of get it. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just really interesting hearing the director talk about um, the process kind of to that level of depth. That I got a lot out of this movie. Yeah. I really I, um, enjoyed it. I suppose in retrospect, I did. I think I I would probably like to go and see it in the cinema. I, I think this I haven't would be had a, a great to, one to study. I don't know. It's obvious. I haven't had a chance to see it probably in the cinema. And I think I, might, <laughs> I was probably, probably at a detriment. My, yeah. my home viewing probably didn't do the film a service and I think I'd like to be able to see it in proper... That's right. My viewing made up for more than it was worth I'd like end, to be able so. to see the film at least in 720p. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. Uh, have you thought much about it better than or worse than if we almost dropped this, this segment than, off the face of the I earth? think this is better than uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah. Um, worse than... I don't know. I think this is the best period piece I've ever seen. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. If you if you think about it in terms of like funny comedy movies, 
set in a period. I don't think there are many others of those, but I didn't really get very much out of this as a comedy. Barry Lyndon is He's apparently not... a masterpiece, so right. I'll, I'll just say, like, let's let's defer to uh, fucking Kubrick and say that Kubrick made a better movie than Yorgos Lanthimos. <laughs> but maybe not, because this <laughs> was pretty yeah. great. I mean, I didn't really get much of that as a comedy, so if you're going into it... Nick, Nick, Nick Holt is the comedic relief. Like, it's yeah. so... <laughs> He the way that he um <laughs> at one point his character gets so frustrated that he shrieks and kicks a fucking like <laughs> plate of desserts all <laughs> over the floor and it doesn't sound funny but seeing this like incredibly dressed up guy wearing the full era makeup like white yeah. face paint and the wig just be like ah like, <laughs> kick a fucking platter is so funny. I yeah. just thought it was great. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, definitely some good bits in it. It wasn't personally my sort of cup of tea as far as comedies go. Right. So I think definitely it would, would have been not as good as many other comedies that I've seen, uh, but definitely the best Yorgos Lanthimos movie I've seen so far. Oh, mostly good. Because, mostly because it was the one that didn't make me feel uncomfortable as fuck. I definitely <laughs> think that like the other Yorgos, this is weird, but other Yorgos Lanthimos movies I think have been better made movies in terms of achieving a very specific artistic vision. Right. Like... Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster definitely made me uncomfortable. I didn't personally like them, but I watched them acknowledging the fact that they were very well done. I think this kind of bored me for the first sort of, <laughs> the first sort of hour of it. Yeah. One last thing about The Favourite um, that I think is really noteworthy is that um, the performances of Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, and Rachel Weiss were unbelievably good. These people became the characters that they were. Yeah. Especially Olivia Coleman, who had to play a queen whose like mental and physical health was deteriorating throughout the entire course of the film. She, she was clearly incredible. has a stroke at one point and has to act the rest of the film with like half of her face paralyzed. I wonder if that was a prosthetic does. or not, because I noticed that. It's the fact that you're asking that question is is like yeah. t- very telling. She needs to walk with a crutch the whole fucking movie and like the the pain that she sometimes needs to express and the emotional vulnerability she's the most believable like human queen that well, i think well, I've it's ever also seen having portrayed. this like real like this is strange kind of surreal kind of aspect of the yeah, character yeah absolutely kind of weird. like yeah. this film wouldn't have been the same if the performance of the three characters hadn't been as yeah. strong as it was rachel weiss was perfectly kind of scheming um, <laughs> emma stone was perfectly like lovely on the outside but sinister but just a demon under, yeah like this um, more scheming than rachel weiss's character absolutely and that's sort of what i touching so, on before about how like everything she does is like under the guise of being kind yeah and then like it comes comes out like sort of as the film progresses that she's just a, a, a real scheming demon. Right. And like, just to talk a about scheming scheming by the end of the film, I thought it was a really interesting and nice, um, little kind of swap that they did where, um, then a hard spoiler. So spoiler, like, spoiler, 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 spoiler. The idea of finally Emma Stone kind of pushing Rachel Weiss's character out, um, yeah. and getting her out of the, the thing and then just leading this, descending into like this hateful state where she's gotten what she wanted. It, it's totally different to how she thought it was going to be. Yeah. And she just hates it. And she's now so stuck with it because she's wedged herself in so deep that she couldn't possibly yeah. get out. So she's just like this broken, hateful character. That's kind of what you saw Rachel Weisser sometimes early in the film. I thought yeah. that was a really nice touch. I am... Um I saw a little article that was talking about the idea that right at the end of the movie, every single character is in their own 
personal hell. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like Rachel Weiss misses her best friend, loved her best friend, and has now been exiled from the country that she was trying to lead. Mm. Um, the Queen is like dying, it is in excruciating pain, and is banished from her country, the one person that probably actually cared about her. And Emma Stone, who was trying to ex- escape servitude and a life of misery has now ended up straight back right at the very end of the film where the queen sees her like stomping on the bunny or whatever um right back in a situation where she has to be completely in servitude to this person in order to like maintain her lifestyle and all she wanted was to be kind of free of having to do any of that which is kind of a grim way to end the film incidentally best bit about the whole film i thought was the song they played during the credits yeah, it was good. Nice little alternate version of an Elton John song you don't often hear. He just on music. He he also like has this frequently occurring thing where it's just one piano note and one violin string. I don't know if you noticed. It I or noticed not, that it was like, often very annoying. It builds tension. <laughs> it builds tension, it builds tension often, so yeah. much. It's like making your neck tense. Like, yeah, absolutely. I thought that was really. No, good. I thought that was good. And do you reckon this? Like, do you reckon it did a good job? I felt like it did a pretty good job of involving characters that were definitely like not straight. I guess leaning closest to lesbian. Well, I saw it um, without kind of making it. Such a like well, center point of the film that it was kind of patronizing. There in was a way. there was a f- interview that he gave where he was talking about the idea that he wanted that to be a part of the film, but he definitely wanted to portray it in a way that made it seem like they weren't trying to make a thing of it. Yeah, because right. It gets I, in I the film when we're not trying to make a point. Yeah, we're not trying to be like, oh, this is a film about normalizing gay. No. He was like, no, it's just it's just a part of the film and whatever. Which I think is the most effective way to normalize it. It's yeah. just that like these are characters that had to hide the fact that they were gay in their and they're era. just talking they're talking about that it normally as if it's normal. Like for a them. core yeah. tenet of their personalities was just like that's what their sexuality was. And yeah. That's it. No, I thought you know? I thought that was a really, really interesting part. I think it's yeah. really the more I talk about it the more I like it. I think it's worth worthwhile seeing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who who that wasn't um clear that that's my perspective, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I really like this All movie. Right, okay. Yeah. Um should we kick it to the news then? Yes. Let's do it. We haven't done the music in a little while. Now that we've got our fucking computer plugged in, can we pull up a real news noise and like play that over the top? No. Right, we like that, do we? Yes. Okay. Don't don't No, it's great. I love it. I love doing it every week and I've never voiced anything otherwise. Fuck you. News. Give me some of them beef bullet ins. Beef bullet ins. Edgar Wright preps London set psychological horror movie and talks about Baby Driver 2. An Edgar um, Wright psych horror movie. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's all I've got really at the moment. It's just that he's... um. He said, he said, I realized I've never made a film about central London, specifically Soho, somewhere I've spent a huge amount of my life. Um, so the film that he's going to do is going to be like a thriller, psychological kind of film set in London, which should be good. I love Edgar Wright, one of my favorite directors going around. Uh, Black Klansman, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, after six Oscar nominations, is returning to cinemas in the U.S. Returning to, which is exciting. Yeah, did it not have? I a good think that run? It, I think it might not have might might not have been a film that had a huge release. Wow! And so now it's That's coming back. It's going to be re-released in 168 theaters across the country, uh, playing in over 30 states. Um, it debuted in August, where it had. Uh, deb- oh, they're saying debuted. <laughs> it, de- it, de- it debuted 
uh, with almost $11 million, which was the third best opening weekend of this dude's career, apparently. And it went on... Third best of this dude's career. Yeah, and it, it went on... The, the went more on words to about, you gave me in that sentence, the less impressive yeah, it no, was. <laughs> too many numbers, but it, it went on to earn about $100 million right. over its run. Um, and so I think they're excited for it to come back to the cinema for more people to see it. Yeah, I think, I think that, so. That often happens, though. When films get a lot of awards, cinemas tend to sort of extend the run of them or bring them back right, or whatever. Okay, cool. Um, Hao Miyazaki with fucking sorry to bother you. Yeah, Hao Miyazaki and his son are working on two new Studio Ghibli films. Excellent. This dude is retired like four times. He clearly loves making yeah. movies. Can't stay away. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, he That's ret- a, he's the kind of guy that must like dream in anime. Yeah, he re- <laughs> he retired in twenty thirteen. It's, it's yeah, it's Hao Miyazaki and Callum. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, boy. Um, in tw- <laughs> in twenty thirteen. Um, oh. He retired and then announced by 2016 that he's coming back to work on more films. Yeah, right. So Great. that'll be exciting to see that. Uh, so I was in JB the other day and I wanted to... So they had these really nice like uh, Studio Ghibli art boxes where you buy the Blu-ray and it comes with an art book. You want to spend $200 on that? No, it was reasonably priced. Like it was maybe $100 or something. And I was like, yeah. I'd pay 100 bucks for art, an art book of Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. And that was the only one I wanted. They had fucking Spirited Away. Who gives a fuck about that movie? <laughs> they had Princess Mononoke. Don't give a shit. Howl's like Moving Princess Castle. Princess Mononoke. More like Princess Mono... Monofine Princess Mono Just Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> That's good. That's much better than anything I was coming up with. Yep. Um... They didn't have House Movie Castle. They didn't do one. So it's like the 25th anniversary or the 30th anniversary or some shit. They just right. didn't, didn't do one for House Movie Castle, one of their most popular films. Oh. I mean, clearly it's their fifth most popular film because they did four <laughs> other ones, but <laughs> yeah, fuck well, there me, you right? go. Anyway. Fuck you indeed. <laughs> Pavel Pawlowski's Cold War has made history for Polish film. It's had the most Academy Awards of... Any film that's had a primarily Polish backing. More than zero. Yeah. Well, Roma's got, had 10 Academy Award nominations, yeah, which is crazy right for like a Mexican film. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is exciting. Mm, that is very cool. It's good to see the Oscars. Good to see more foreign films. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Nicolas Cage has Hell yeah. been cast as the lead in a new sci-fi horror thriller film called Color Out of Space. How has Nicolas Cage not yet been the subject of a sexual harassment accusation? Oh, man. Like, has he? Too, I, no, I don't think he has. So. If he has, I my apologies not. for missing it. But he just feels like... Maybe he's so... Unstable. He's like a four-year-old boy. He's just not grown interested up. in doing it. <laughs> yeah. He's um, like, oh, you can do that to women. <laughs> I just never would have thought about it. I'm not, I'm not interested. He just, he just buys them a gold jet ski and runs yeah. around in his lake of Kool Aid. <laughs> blows with them. it up and runs <laughs> off. <laughs> um, this new film that Nicolas Cage is starting is uh, produced by the same. Uh, this already doesn't mean anything. <laughs> produced by Spectavision, the same production company that did Mandy. It's okay, got. Awesome. It's based on a H.P. Lovecraft novella. Which one? Color Out of Space. It's the f- it's uh, rich- it's directed by Richard Stanley. It's the f- his first feature in over twenty years. He previously did a- a older cult classic films that I'm not familiar with: Hardware, Dust Devil, and The Island of Doctor Moreau, right. which was a Marlon Brando Val Kilmer film. Uh, so excited to see what happens with this one. Yeah. This is another one that's being produced by Elijah Wood and that whole crew of people that oh, okay. produce Mandy. They, so. they actually do really, really good stuff. Who's it being directed by? Do you know? Uh, that guy that did the Island of Dr. Moreau. The fucking guy oh, that's sorry. his first film in 20 years. 
Yes, I do know. In fact, I told you. Must have <laughs> slipped my mind. <laughs> must, must have. The Razzies have been... Oh, yeah. The, the Razzies nominations have been announced. What are the Razzies? The Razzies, are the, they come out at the same time as the Oscar nominations for Best Things. The Razzies are Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Actress, etc. Famously, when Halle Berry was nominated for Worst Actress for her betrayal of Catwoman in Batman, she came to accept the award. Right, that's great. Um, <laughs> Can you control F, uh, Nicolas Cage for me in that? Just, oh, this, this, this isn't this isn't this year. This is like sorry. This is just this year. I don't have like all time. No, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm wondering if anyone went for Mandy. No, 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 they didn't. He's fine. Are He's doing sure? well. Because uh, if they misinterpreted the performance, oh, right, oh, right, no. right at the top of the list, nominations for worst picture are uh, the Happy Time Murders, that Melissa McCarthy like X-rated Muppets movie. Um, oh yeah, Robin Hood, the new remake <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. that looked like an off-brand um, Guy Ritchie movie. Holmes and Watson, which absolutely oh, deserves to take yes! the award. And then, God, <laughs> if the rest of them are even close to that bad, we should watch yeah. all of them. Oh, the, the year that, um, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Gotti and Winchester, which are films I haven't heard of. The year that oh, Gotti, I've heard of Gotti. That's um, that's uh, fucking John Travolta playing John Gotti, like one of New York's most famous oh, man. mobsters. Well, John and Travolta's apparently... also been nominated for worst actor. Yeah, apparently <laughs> the whole movie is a fucking train wreck. <laughs> yeah, right, and it's like. It's made by people who think that Goodfellas is about cool guys hanging out with their friends and not like <laughs> the slow decline of organized crime. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Brutally, Helen Mirren's been nominated for Worst Actress for Winchester, along Ooh. with Melissa McCarthy in that puppet film uh, and a whole bunch of other people who give a fuck about these. Uh, worst Actor, Will Ferrell for Holmes and Watson. Johnny Depp, Voice Only for Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> John Travolta for Gotti. He did a he did a bad enough job in a voice only part. Yeah. Okay, we absolutely must watch have that. To watch Sherlock Gnomes. I have to know why they nominated a voice acting role only. Not doing it. How Not bad did it. he do? Worst supporting. What did he do? <laughs> Worst supporting actor. Ludicrous voice only in Show Dogs. <laughs> What was Show Dogs? <laughs> I don't know, but Ludacris Jesus. voiced it. Donald Trump got nominated for a worst actor for playing himself in The Death of a Nation in Fahrenheit 9-11. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, and then Bruce Willis got a shout out as well. Kellyanne Conway as herself in Fahrenheit 9-11. And Melania, Far- Melania Trump as herself. Yeah, I think that. Yeah. <laughs> so they have worst screen combo. Um <laughs> <laughs> These are really good. There's another one, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell in Holmes so, and Watson. Yeah, uh yeah. Worst screen worst screen combo for Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, <laughs> trashing two of literary's literature's most beloved characters. <laughs> um Excellent. Uh, any two actors or puppets, especially in those creepy <laughs> sex scenes in the Happy Time Murders. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. Johnny Depp and his fast-fading film career. <laughs> He's doing voices <laughs> for cartoons, for cripes' sakes. And John- Donald J. Trump and his self-perpetuating yeah, yeah. pettiness. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> that's probably the worst, the, the, the best of this list that we've mm. got here. Uh, worst screenplay for Fifty Shades Freed and the Happy Time Murders. Yep. Uh, worst director for Eaton Cohen for Holmes and Watson. So look forward to <laughs> finding out. Eaton Cohen. Eaton Cohen. Not even Eaton the Ethan Cohen. Not even the Ethan Cohen from the from Garfield. It's like even more third rate than that. 
Fucking hell. Just if your last name's Cohen, just stop naming your kids any name. If your last with name's e. Cohen. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I meant. A couple of fun ones. I've worked out all the fun headlines come from ScreenRant.com. So the last few are all from ScreenRant. Um, Black- you know how we were talking way earlier about how like all media now, or at least all journalism is like media analysis? Yeah. And how there's no actual journalism? I was thinking we should start like... DMing directors <laughs> for comments like, "Hey, we do a podcast for thirty people. No one will ever hear what you have to say. Give us your give us your true, <laughs> your true good. perspective on the film. That'd be good. Is that Stone a nightmare to work Just with? Response, that yeah. sort of Who shit. is a real bitch on set? <laughs> yeah, uh, not interested. Black Mirror, ba- Bandersnatch, Choose Your Own Adventure stats reveal that sixty percent of viewers chose Frosties for breakfast. Oh, good. It's one right. of the choices. What were the other things. ones? Uh, Frosties or cornflakes? I think. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. 40% chose cornflakes? Yeah. Cornflakes are shit. Um, no, maybe it was Wheaties. I don't remember. I chose Frosties. I wouldn't know what the other one was. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are Frosties the same thing as Frosted Flakes? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, in the most I've important film update of the week... Is this Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog? No, sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry to tease you. It's not that. I guess um, one didn't come out this week. No, Shazam suits don't cost $1 million each. The film budget reportedly was only 80 to $90 million. They didn't spend that much on suits. Um, uh, Hollywood, oh, we, the Hollywood reporter says that the entire suit budget was actually just 600000 to 700000 Oh, well, uh, you know, that's we, much better. We, Beef Station priorly passed on the fact that their uh, suit budget was $10 million, which means they spent more than 10% of the entire film budget on <laughs> muscle suits. It's a lot less interesting, which makes that news story also less interesting. I love that they had to issue a correction. Right? <laughs> that people were just like, you spent $10 million on like, no, we're like, not crazy. No, everyone listen, we're calling a press conference. <laughs> Jesus. No. It was no, only six hundred thousand dollars <laughs> that we spent on muscle suits, folks. <laughs> only six hundred thousand dollars. Hell yeah. For balloons in a turtleneck. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Here we go. And finally, another story close to Beef Station Hearts. Henry Cavill has no plans to regrow the infamous Mission Impossible mustache. <laughs> you know how, like, you know how some actors <laughs> give an incredible performance of a memorable film in the middle of their film career, and it just haunts they them. Kind of it's like Harper yeah. authorship, right? And for the rest of their career, every interview they ever do, out of politeness. The interviewer will ask them about the current film that they're doing <laughs> and upcoming work, and then they'll say, "Now look, yeah, I know that you've moved on, but <laughs> I gotta ask. <laughs> I really hope that for the rest of Henry Cavill's career, he walks out like, of any interviews where they talk about the mustache. What are, you, what are your mustache plans? <laughs> hey, Henry, where are you going? Come on, well, so we have to know. What are your mustache plans? That's literally what this interview was, because apparently the, the director of Mission Impossible Fallout mentioned that they're gonna, he, he might be bringing back Alec Baldwin's character and Henry Cavill's character through like flashbacks in the next Mission Impossible film. Right. And so people were like, first question you got to ask... Henry Cavill is going to have to grow back the mustache because <laughs> he was apparently really fucking getting to shave that thing off. And he, Henry Cavill, we got the official statement. The mustache, no. the mustache had its moment. Maybe someday it will return, but that will probably be a while, he said. So we'll just have a little, my heart will go on, Celine Dion. With the Titanic, Titanic sinking moment on the front of it. In memory of Henry Cavill's mustache, gone but certainly not forgotten. In memoriam. 
That's the wind going through my moustache. Right. And that's all I got for Beef Bulletin this week. Yep. That's a good one. It's a bit light towards the end, so I figured I'd just get us a copyright strike to really pad it out. <laughs> it's a cover and or satire. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um... We thought about getting a Beef Station URL this week so we don't have to constantly plug all this other horse shit. Turns out if we want to get beefstation.com, we have to spend $4,000. Eight, n- 9000 so wasn't it? go to kickstarter.com slash beefstationurl. <laughs> <where I'm laughs> yeah, that's that's our only Patreon tier. Is <laughs> a monthly payment of eight thousand nine hundred ninety nine US dollars, and yeah. you get to run our website. <laughs> so if we, we eventually we could probably cyber bully the guy that owns that into giving us a sweet deal, but you or know, just DCMA him, <laughs> bomb him for copyright. In the meantime, facebook.com slash beefstationpod. We're on Twitter at beefstationpod, even though I think the Twitter's kind of dead. No, it's not um, dead. It just hasn't been born yet. I got to start working harder on it. <laughs> oh, oh God. Uh, Write us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page. We We'd love to iTunes hear from reviews? you. Yeah, we got a couple. Oh, yeah. Do we have more than one from Pat? <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not then, no. Uh, send us an email if you want to get in contact with the show. By all means, tell us what you think. Uh, thanks for joining us every week. I think the last couple of episodes we've been doing have been pretty good. Mm. Pretty good is I about the standard that. that we're shooting for. So if we get any better than this, please just tell we us to rein it in. We have plans for excellent, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us. We're a strong, pretty good territory right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. Andrew. See you later. Turn me loose from your hands. Let me fly to distant lands over green fields, trees, and mountains. Flowers and forest Yeah.